You're listening to Campfire Conversations, brought to you by Three Rivers Land Trust, committed to conservation. I told Sam I was going to air out every frustration I have today, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm just going to say that typically, on a regular year, this is opening week of muzzleloader season in the central Piedmont of North Carolina. And for some reason, this year, everything's a week late. Yeah. A week behind, which is fine because the deer are a week behind, too, apparently. Rut's not really kicking up yet. But uh, I've got a question about that. Go ahead. So, last week, last weekend I went home, and all my buddies from South Carolina were sending pictures of deer telling me it's on. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, an hour 15 down yeah. I-85. I mean, this is our ecosystem, Piedmont of South Carolina, Piedmont of North Carolina, very similar ec- ecological reason. Mm-hmm. Why would it be on there and not here? Different latitudinal lines. No, we're so close. Nope, doesn't matter, man. Really? Just a little difference in the length of daylight. I know it's all photo. So, what we're talking about, if you if you don't know, we've talked about this before, but rut, like the skunk rut that we've talked about, mm-hmm. or deer rut, is triggered. That I guess all science points to that it's triggered by photo period length yes. of day. So, and you know, males of any species are ready to breed virtually any time, but the rut per se, when males are chasing females triggered by when a female comes into estrus and estrus is like you said triggered by photo period but um you know some females in, a, in areas may be getting ripe quicker than other areas but in your case talking south carolina just you know hour and a half south or southeast even um it's just that difference southwest in, southwest well it's just that difference in in daylight just like eastern north carolina it's been on we're going on two weeks. It's been wide open, Eastern North Carolina. But yeah, but we're we're further east. We're fifty miles east of Spartanburg. Mm-hmm. Well, all I can tell you is, is the daylight's obviously different there. Huh? It's just different. Because I, I always knew growing up, and you've said something different. And so, growing up, all the people that I hunted with that I trust as hunting mentors say. You take an average. Rut is on around Halloween. Where you're from? Where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Where's and I think it's a little later. Where here, where from, I'm from? from where it's Thanksgiving week. Thanksgiving exactly. Mm-hmm. But here where we're at now, somewhere in between. It's usually a, two weeks prior, two three weeks prior, um, and we're only you're talking about an hour and a half. We're only forty five minutes difference from where I grew up kind of I mean same region so yeah it's just it varies by uh, not much as far as length of travel it's just different Golly, just different man, it's weird I know it is weird um you know and it's it's been studied and studied and studied and there's tons of scientific data to back it up but everybody falls on the same thing of length of daylight and it's just you know obviously the weather 
may play into it, at least from a hunting standpoint. I think the weather as far as temperature doesn't play into it from a deer's perspective. A deer could care less if it's 80 degrees or 40 degrees. Um, they're that photo period is what's triggering it for them. I think the temperature plays They couldn't care less if it's 80 degrees or 40 degrees in regards to when it's time to mate. To breed. Yeah. Correct. Um, now, movement may tick up with cooler temperatures because they need to feed more. Um, the females are obviously feeding more. Males kind of go through a stage where they don't eat a lot during the rut. But, um, you know, they may need to feed more to keep that energy up because they're burning more calories to stay warm. But the reason folks like to like a cold front is more or less for them for keeping game if they harvest it and maybe they're seeing a little bit more yeah, movement sure. but it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that the breeding's going on whether yeah. they're there what the temperature is yeah so yeah um photo periods what it boils down to and i know it's weird that it, just in that small amount of space how different it can be by weeks but it is and that's i guess that's why i mean obviously that's why we have the state each state's broken up into different hunting regions as far as districts you know north carolina we've got the western northwestern central and then we've got the two eastern zones yeah you know so um that's why that's why it's broken up that way yeah i mean another interesting thing just talking about regions and one thing that i've got to talk about with sports members today is we own a property that's on the line on the regional line between hunt zones so the point property up here in on the davy rowan county line we have two blocks that are in Rowan County where the season starts a week earlier. It's the central season. Yeah, the central season, exactly, which is, you know, Rowan through Montgomery, you know, all the way down in there. Then the northwestern region, we we don't have that many counties in that region, but Davie is one of them, mm-hmm. and Davidson. And Davidson, right? Uh, I'll have to double-check that. Yeah, double-check that. Davie is definitely in it. And Davie County, if you, you can – literally go 20 yards across the river and have to wait a whole week later to, to deer hunt. So, uh, <clears throat> what's, it, what's it say? No, I'm still looking. You can keep going. Um, i got to pull up the map. When you're... So, you ready for some you ready for some segue action? Yeah, go for it. Speaking of the South Yadkin River, that is the divider line of the northwestern region and the central region, this weekend on that river... We did a paddle trip yesterday. Yeah. About that segue. Let's let's talk about that paddle trip. How many people did you have? So it was put on by our Rowan County chapter, which is, you know, we're doing, like we talked about many times on the show, we're doing these regional county chapters um, where local people can get involved in the land trust and kind of tell us what kind of events they want to do. We can focus on conservation issues and um, outdoor recreation things that they want to do here locally and get local people to kind of, kind of buy into conservation in their own backyard. So um, the Rowan chapter put this on and we we kind of went out, what is it, Davidson's not in it? Davidson is not in the Northwestern. What's Davidson in? So Central? Davidson is in the Central, Central. Central deer season. Okay. So just Davy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Rowan chapter put this on and... I guess that's one thing. We'll back it up even further. So starting at the beginning of this week, planning these outdoor recreation events are just so hard, man. It's like planning a hunting trip or anything, and it's all so weather dependent. Um, But the hard thing is when you've got people registering weeks in advance, 
it's like it's a pretty stressful thing when you've done all this work to set something up and get a big crowd coming and then you've got to like just wait <laughs> so monday i was I was hours away from canceling it. I had sent out a couple emails to the chapter saying... I liked... Let me interject. Yeah, I liked some of those emails because the forecast, the weather forecast, was to be raining up until midday Sunday and cool originally. And I loved everybody's responses when they were voting on should we keep... Should we <laughs> stick with it or not? Everybody's like, yeah, let's not do that. I don't want to spend my day cold and wet. <laughs> Rather not. <laughs> I was kind of on the You were the of, only one that was even <laughs> interested in going. I wanted to do it, yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll tell you why. Because you asked a second ago how many people registered for this event. Mm-hmm. We had over 20 people come. And the majority of them, over three-quarters of them, were people that had never been to a land trust event before. Okay. So that's, as a membership and outreach person, um, that's kind of our, that's what we're trying to do. Is we're trying to get new people engaged in our organization and... And learn about us because it's all word of mouth. I mean, just like this podcast, trying, yeah. trying to get new folks involved. Yeah. I mean, so it's all it's all word of mouth. And I had an event where I could take all these new people out and tell them about what we were up to, and I was very excited about that. So, like Cody said, the whole chapter was like, maybe maybe we're not going to paddle in the rain, but I said just hold off for a little bit. And by Wednesday, it started to look like it was going to rain in the morning, clear up in the afternoon. Um, so I kind of pulled a little executive power. <laughs> said we're doing <laughs> pulled, it. Pulled a veto and said, "I think I think we can do it." And uh, it turned out being a, a gorgeous day. Did the folks that didn't want to come because they thought it was going to be cold and rainy, did they show up? They did. They showed up. They did. Um, good. So yeah, it was a it was a really it was a nice paddle. We ended up getting there about one o'clock 12 30 and it was sunny it was 82 it was a, degrees it was a pretty day it, it was, was kind of hot yesterday yeah i thought but the the whole thing about that paddle and the reason why we did it the reason the Rowan chapter did it other than they like to kayak and it's a kayaking centric group and um like paddling they, they like doing a little bit of everything but um that is that stretch of river is five miles and besides maybe a few hundred yards of private land on that stretch, everything else on that five-mile stretch has been conserved either by or with the help of Three Rivers Land Trust. So the Alcoa game lands running from the 601 bridge down to Second Creek and beyond is all, for the most part, Alcoa game lands, which, you know, as we talked about many times. It will be river right if mm-hmm. you're going downstream. And left. Not as far on the left. Not as far on the left, but a lot on the left. Yeah. Um, that's all been conserved by the land trust, and so we got to tell people these all these new people that showed up. Hey, when you're when you're on this paddle, you're going to pass one house the entire way down. Anything that's not posted with private property signs, excluding land trust signs, has been conserved by Three Rivers Land Trust. So. As you're going along, you're not seeing houses. You're seeing this beautiful scenery. Know that. Yeah, one we guy had to screw all that up. <laughs> <laughs> one guy. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, that's an inside joke. Uh, as we're going down, just, just realize that a lot of hard work from our staff and a lot of different agencies, Clean Water Management Trust Fund, Wildlife Resource Commission, among others. I mean, I can't name everybody, but went into protecting these places. Secondly, 
as you're going down, know that our takeout spot is the Salisbury Pump Station. So not only is this for public access and wildlife habitat, um, but this is also, and recreation, but this is also important for clean water. So that's like a really good message. It was a great paddle. Um, but Any first timers on the South Yadkin? Had everybody seen it before? Everybody but two was a first-timer on the South Yadkin. Everybody but two, it was their first time. Really? Yeah. yeah. They like it? Oh, man, how could you not? Yeah, it's nice. I mean, if you like slow-moving water. It's yeah, cool. it was slow. But, I mean, the water, luckily with the rain, it kind of gave us a little push. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about you with this because I want to talk about sweeping. Okay. Yeah, we um, know you're you're a career sweeper, I believe. So I've done... Let's define sweeping. Yeah, sweeping is... Sweeping is where when we put on a hiking event or a paddling event, somebody, usually somebody who puts on the event or is a part of the committee that puts on the event needs to be at the back to make sure that, I mean, you don't know if this is somebody's first paddle trip, if it's somebody's (laughs) first hiking trip. Like, you want to make sure that everybody's comfortable and... Cowboys call it ride and drag. (laughs) (laughs) So you just want to make sure that you've got eyes on everybody behind you and you want to be at the back so that... At least you can keep everybody in front of you. So you know you make sure everybody makes it out. Yeah, same Basically. as when you're running a cattle drive, you're making sure there's no strays getting out of the herd. Uh huh. So, so you're riding drag. So I'm riding drag. Eating dust. I'm riding drag, and I, I like you know part of this was I was very excited to meet all these new people and talk to them about you know what we we're doing and answer any questions and stuff. But I'm riding drag, and everybody's just up and gone, and we got four people. I got four people that are behind me and behind you, behind me. Okay, and I'm just kind of keeping an eye on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm riding in my canoe with Aaron. We're just doing a little paddle. Okay. We're chilling. Aaron's my roommate. Um, hey, Ste- Aaron. <laughs> yeah, Steely was further. Steely was further up, which is good. Well, at least we had a staff member with everybody else, mm-hmm. kind of giving with, a tour. Uh, type along, deal. Yeah, exactly. Along with the committee, but we're going down the river kind of enjoying it we're pretty much by ourselves and kind of do a poor sweeping job for a little bit i kind of get focused on looking looking at squirrels and other things along the landscape yeah. mm-hmm. i get down to second creek in the big bend of the river mm-hmm. and look behind me and i'm like there's four people behind us right Aaron?" and he's like yeah and i was like man i don't i don't see him let's put the anchor down wait and on. just wait well, we put the anchor down and sat for 30-plus minutes. I went swimming twice. Oh, wow. Like, anchor down, waiting. I got a phone call before the four people showed up hey, from we're, we're Taylor out. and Steely saying, yeah, we're... Uh, we're packing it up. We're packing it up. So, and we're, I mean, if, you don't, if you've never done that stretch, we still got an hour mm-hmm. plus left. You're and I was driving people. So... I was like, where? It pretty much got to the point where I was like, Aaron, we're going to have to turn back and we're going to have to go paddle against the current and make sure somebody didn't capsize and is hurt. And about that time, I start hearing voices coming mm-hmm. coming down river. And from the time that I heard the voices to the time that they came to us was another 15 minutes. And they weren't paddling. At all. They were not paddling. It was a float. Uh-huh. And uh, they came up to us, and they're like, y'all waiting on us. And we're like, well, yeah, you're just making sure everybody's okay. And they're like, they're like, oh, we do this all the time. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about us. We're fine. Okay. 
But, I mean, I'm talking about this is a two-hour paddle. It's been two hours already at this point, and I'm halfway done. So, um, from that point on, I just... I'm going to go back to my sweeping story from the... I have a, just a poor taste in my mouth of sweeping, and it's never, whenever I'm sweeper, something like this happens. I did a, I did a through hike my first, my first ever year. Yeah, with the, please tell this. Yeah, my first ever year with the Land Trust, I did the through hike. The 40, which I, the 40 mile, four day trail mm-hmm. hike that mm-hmm. we put on, they, we mm-hmm. just recently put on for the umpteenth time. Yeah. And I'm not going to, like, the through hike is a tough event. Especially for somebody who's not an experienced hiker, it's a it's a hard event. It's ten miles every day. If you overpack, if you have bad shoes, you know if you're not used to this sort of thing, you got soft feet. It's going to be a long trip. We have people drop out every year. Mm-hmm. Um, ten people drop out of the out of the seventy that we have. I mean, it's tough. The second day is always a really tough day. That's an eleven mile day, a lot of vertical change, and I was sweeper on that day, and. Usually when I'm sweeping, like especially on a hike, I'm going to, I'm just going to kick it at camp until like 10:30 or 11, and then have that everybody way, else get a head start. That's right. That right. That way you don't mm-hmm. have to go slow. And I can just go my pace, and then eventually I'll catch somebody, and uh, and then we can just do it together from there. That particular day, I waited till about 10:30 and start walking, and it's an 11 mile day, and about the two and a half mile mark. I run into the first hiker, and it's a lady, and I come around the corner, and she's got her shoes off, and um, she's like, I'm going to need you to, I'm, I'm going to need you to wrap I my need feet. Some fir- I need some first aid. I need some first aid. <laughs> <laughs> and your face was what? <laughs> I was just like, sure. of course, I'm, yeah, of course I'm nice. Um, so, just touching some sweaty hiking feet, blistered up, <laughs> just wrapping them. Um, and to her credit, this is like her first hiking trip and she toughed it out. We made made it through. Yeah. Yeah. She made it. But man, hiking, hiking like that, when you're going slow and you're uncomfortable, it's a catch 22 because if you, the more time you spend on your feet, the worse it gets. And if you're going at a slow play, a slow pace and a slow clip, it's only going to get worse. Like the best thing you can do is just tough through, power through, power through, and get there, and then get off your feet. And um, we we were on That's our good. feet. That is solid advice, Sam. That's a hot tip, isn't it? I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Mm-hmm. Just coming from a looking at it from a grouse hunter standpoint, like having to make a bunch of vertical change really quick, mm-hmm. go up. Mm-hmm. There's no point in stopping to take a breath. It's better to just power through. Because if you got your pack on, it's you're just still you're, you're, to that weight's on your feet. Yep. And I, you're not going to take your pack off. I mean, it's you know. Yep. I'm not interested in stopping. I agree with that 100. percent Well, it's easier. You know, she's hurting. Her feet hurt, and she's you know tired. She's got a heavy pack, and man, by the end of the day, it's not just her. I was exhausted because we'd been on our feet for 11 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, we're coming in at dark. Um, and that last two miles was, boy, it was rough. <laughs> Did you just say it was rough? Yeah. So you're a career sweeper. So I'm a career sweeper and ride and uh, drag. I just, I don't know. I think we're going to get shirts made that say ride and drag and have a picture of you bandaging up somebody's <laughs> foot, like stick figure style. That would be so funny. 
Uh, I think if you'd been in that situation, you I, would, you couldn't have done it. No, I don't, man. I, you know me. I don't have great patience for that kind of thing. Well, I'm not even talking about the patience. I'm just talking about the feet. You think you 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 mess you oh, bandage man. up some some sweaty stranger foot? Some sweaty stranger foot with some oozing blisters on it. I don't know, man. It, I'd probably have to run gloves. I don't know that I could have just barehanded it. You know how I am about that kind of thing. Mm. Like, I don't mind injuries or blood at all, but I'll tell you what, some things just not meant to be touched. <laughs> I kind of gave you a hard time when you for a long me time. A hard time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for about, no, well, this is, this is something that I agree with you on now, um, more, so than that, more so than I did about your meticulous nature when it came to germs and especially regarding the processing of handling meat of of wild game. Yeah. And in the last few months I've learned a lot about wildlife disease and it makes me want to do better like from handling meat but also handling feet. <laughs> just like <laughs> just a little bit of everything. Well, look, I'll tell you, man. Growing up we we did a small processing outfit for the community processing not only wild game but just meat in general as a family thing and we were my dad was always my dad you know had been trained as a butcher and did a bunch of you know he knew what cleanliness was about yeah sure but and we took it to an extreme level even then but when I went to college and had courses on wildlife disease and then spent three four years dealing with sampling wildlife and taking disease samples and learning about all this stuff it it was like flipping a light switch for me between what's marginal meat handling versus what's actually okay and there's a big difference and so i i take it to the extreme when it comes to cleaning stuff we're going to come back to this in a second but first <laughs> i'm on fire today because the segues are just they keep coming you they just know keep them? coming wildlife disease your careful care of meat um, there's many different factors and reasons why you do that and there's so many different diseases when it comes to handling wild game there's one that's kind of at the forefront of all or as far as I'm concerned domestic yeah mm -hmm. any meat yeah but or we're coming produce, or produce. We're coming into deer season, and there's one that's at the forefront. One disease that's at the forefront of a lot of hunters and people across the country's mind, and that's CWD. Um, so, tell the folks what we're doing regarding CWD, what it is, and how we're partnering with the WR, WRC on that. Wildlife Resource Commission of North Carolina. Sure. So, um, a little background on CWD, chronic wasting disease. It was first found in captive cervids, captive deer, out west. I think it was. Uh, I think it was like Midwest, somewhere around. Wasn't well, it? I think the first documented herd out west was Wyoming. Really. Um, but it's now in I think 17 states. Um, yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Um, it may have even popped somewhere else since then, but started with you know captive deer and deer pens for you know either domestic production or you know just for recreational whatever but anyways this disease it's uh unique in that it, it's always fatal and it, it takes a long time to come to fruition like you won't know it immediately they don't exhibit symptoms immediately and it's passed from deer to deer um and the thing about it is is it it's a really horrible way to die 
it affects the nervous system and the brain in a, in a way that is similar. Uh, the only thing I can compare it to human-wise right now is the Creutzfeldt-Jacobs disease, um, which that's not that's how I pronounce that's how it's spelled, but it's actually Creutzfeldt-Jacobs disease, um, and it's that's the only thing that's very similar in humans, which is also 100% fatal. Um, but it's a it's a prion based disease, kind of like mad cow disease, right? It's very similar to mad cow. Um, the way it attacks the cells in the brain, um, and it takes a quite a bit of time before it to uh, take effect. And uh, it's very highly contagious. Is the problem with it? Mm. Um, so, like, if I had, if I was a deer and I had chronic wasting disease, and you and I drank out of the same water hole there's a good chance that you, if you were a deer, would contract it from me. So, and this is me kind of knowing what I know, and you obviously have studied this and know it a lot more, so I'm going to kind of give a layman's explanation of how I think it goes and then correct me where I'm wrong. I'll try. So these prions, 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 Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to get to your central nervous system. They're trying to get to your brain stem, to your brain. Mm -hmm. They also collect in mucus centers and are found heavily in saliva so when you're talking about drinking out of a or feeding out of the same source Mm -hmm. like captive deer it makes sense that's how how come they got it so prevalent yeah exactly Mm -hmm. you make sense how you can find it in captive deer because they're eating in a centralized area probably out of a feed pile probably out of the same trough yeah basically swap and spit yep exactly Um, mm -hmm. that's exactly how how it's transmitted deer to deer Mm -hmm. and so then there's this other way so that's the main way so then there's this other way. So it lives in the spinal column, in the mm-hmm. nervous system. And it can live in there for a really long time, even after death. So an animal can be deceased. They could still have this, this disease in the spinal column tissue. And so another way it got moved from state to state, not only through, you know, this captive serpent program, you know, deer being bought and sold, moved around as basically as livestock, but through various parts carcass parts being moved from one so that's why there's these rules in place where you can't move you know bone tissue pieces of the spinal column skull plates they have to be cleaned you can't take that kind of thing across state lines anymore and it's because this stuff can live in there and it actually can live in the soil and now this is this is me and my theory you know we've only really heard about this in the last let's say 15 years as being a big deal my theory is it's always been on the landscape but we never had a mechanism to test for it and when we saw a sick deer that was exhibiting symptoms we likely attributed it to something else rather than actual cwd yeah um chances are it's been on the landscape a really long time i don't think it just showed up all of a sudden now it's probably mutated into something worse than what it ever was but that being said it's terrifying Mm -hmm. um i did and i just did a little research um, and uh, two things before we move on. One, you're right. It was first found 1960, first confirmed case in Colorado, Colorado. Wyoming, Wyoming border. border. Yeah. First found in the wild, and first found in the wild. Like no telling, you know, where it had been from there in 1981 in Wyoming? Colorado, Wyoming area. Okay. Yeah. So you're right. Um, and prion diseases. Um, I'm not even gonna get it. It's transmissible spongiform encephalopathies. encephalopathies? Yep, I, if you really want TSEs, if you really want to dig TSEs, mm-hmm. um, if you really want to dig into it, I wrote a pretty great article. Um, if I can toot my own horn, it is good. I read it. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time researching people that have done a lot more research on it than I ever did. But 
I've did I've done quite a bit as far as working with deer, but I wrote a pretty nice like kind of quick fact sheet, everything you need to know about CWD in our magazine release what three issues ago, two issues ago. Two issues ago, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So if you'd like a copy of that, get a hold of us. We'll mm-hmm. we'll shoot you one out there. Um, but I'm going to touch on prions real quick, and I prions prions. Do you know? I've always heard it pronounced prions. Prions. Okay. The term refers to abnormal pathogenic agents that are transmissible, and they're able to induce abnormal folding of specific normal cell proteins called prion proteins. Mm, There you go. That's right. Um, And they're found most abundantly, like we said, in your central nervous system, especially your brain. Um, So basically that abnormal folding leads to the brain damage that we talked about and basically turns your brain into kind of like Swiss cheese. Yep. It eats, it actually eats holes Mm -hmm. into your brain. Um, and depending on where it starts in the brain depends on what symptoms you're going to exhibit. Um, many times deer that are exhibiting symptoms are going to stop eating. They're going to look very malnourished. Um, rib cage will be showing. They'll act emaciated, a ton of things, but it's very similar to like, um, the symptoms are similar to rabies, um, which is super strange, but um, definitely, you know, acting like you're almost drunk. But what's interesting, I guess what's interesting too is with rabies, um, the that's also passed when you see the frothing of the mouth mm-hmm. through those mucus centers, through the saliva. exchange of saliva. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're so, dead on So it's kind of similar, but mm-hmm. the thing with CWD and why you should be concerned about it is that it's it's not technically found in North Carolina yet, which means they haven't found a positive sample. Um, they've found it in a ton of other states, including surrounding states like Tennessee. Just popped, you know, several dozen samples last year. Um, Virginia has had it for several years now, um, and North Carolina is still a negative state, which is great, and we want to remain a negative state. And so that's why all these laws about transporting, you know, body parts across state lines are in place and. And that's why Sam was alluding to what the WRC is doing and has been doing um, pretty much on a five-year rotation, but now it's they've got five years to gain all their samples for each term. So as soon as five years is up, they start sampling for the next five. But the sample consists of virtually either roadkill finds or hunter submissions. And these samples, we used to take the obex, which is the brain stem, the base of the brain where it comes through the forum and magnum into the neck. Um, we used to take the obex as well as the lymph nodes. Um, they have recently decided that the obex doesn't remain viable for a sample as long, and so therefore we're only taking the lymph nodes. So the lymph nodes are just like if you touch your throat, um, when you go to the doctor and they feel your throat to see if your lymph nodes are swollen, because that's typically where any kind of first sign that something's wrong with your body, you're, that's where you're going to be able to tell first if your lymph nodes are swollen. Well, very much the same in, in deer. That's where they can detect that disease. It's going to be concentrated there. So we're ask, asking for heads from from our standpoint, from all of the hunters who are participants in our Sportsman Access program or, you know, whatever way they participate with us. We ask that they uh, give us a call if they harvest a deer or come across a dead deer that's relatively fresh um, so we can get out and take a sample really quick and then get it into uh, the hands of the Wildlife Resources Commission to get it sampled. Yeah. And so what does that do? Well, that keeps us researching whether or not we have CWD and then hopefully if we if we or anybody across the state ever does pull a positive sample, it, we could contain it, which means that 
that area would be perimetered off and a ton more samples would be taken until there are no positive samples. Yeah. Um, would that work? Probably not. Um, by the time you get it, in my opinion, it's probably too late. It's probably already spread. Chances are it's already here and has been here a really long time. Um, but who knows? The thing that, I mean, they take thousands, hundreds of thousands of samples a year, and none have come back positive, so that's a good sign. Yeah, and, and the big fear is, and there has been no confirmed cases of this, which is great, but it's that doesn't mean anything. Um, the big fear would be that it would be transmissible to human beings. Mm-hmm, uh, nobody through, really knows. Through yeah. consumption. Um, and as of now, there's no confirmation that that is possible, but it's it's definitely something to keep an eye on for the health of a deer herd, but also for human safety. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, that's exactly it. That's, that's the big fear is not only will you be losing a deer herd potentially, but you could also ingest this this pathogen yourself mm-hmm. um and or pass it along to your family uh, so it's 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 concerning to say the least now there were a couple of cases where it was thought that in wisconsin um humans did contract cwd and and died from it but it's never been confirmed one way or another so there's i mean obviously the usda is still looking into it yeah but and usgs there i mean there's there's tons of studies being done on it, but that's just the little small role that we play here is just trying to collect more samples, um, and you should too, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, that's CWD. It's not not trying to scare anyone into not eating deer because by all means, eat your deer, cook it to 150 degrees, and eat it mm-hmm. um, until you've learned otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna keep eating them until me too until something goes wrong. So. You may wonder, and this is this is a question that I've been asked before. So, what happens if you're hunting in a CWD positive state and you harvest a deer? What does that mean? So, what that means is this: so you've got options. You either can voluntarily submit a sample for no charge, and which is what's recommended. So, you'll submit a sample, and I was just talking to my buddy in Montana. So, the way they've got it set up now is you harvest a deer, submit the sample. 10 days later you get your results back and then you'll know whether or not your deer is positive or negative for CWD. If it's positive, it is recommended that you dispose of the meat. If it's negative, obviously you're going to carry on business as usual and eat the thing. What are the what are the disposal requirements? So, depending on what you did, so incinerary is obviously the number one option for getting rid of body parts like bone tissue spinal parts but uh it's recommended that it's buried or put in a landfill yeah um so and i think they even are handling that at no charge Uh right now sure but um what you can do so you're like what do i do for the 10 days so fortunately like out west it's cold right now so it's cold enough that you could hang a deer for 10 days um keep it clean keep it cold keep it you know out direct sunlight and you'd be fine. Your meat will be fine. Or keep it iced down in a cooler. Switching yeah. off ice in 10 days is nothing. I mean, that's aging a deer perfect. That's what you, and that's what you like to do anyways. Yeah, I like, age. I like seven days. Yeah. I like a week. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, you could definitely do that. And, and I think that's a, that's a pretty good compromise. Um, it sucks that, you know, you might lose meat, you know, if, uh, if it does come back positive. And you could still eat it if you wanted to, but 
you know, that's a risk you've got to assess yourself. Man, yeah, that's a that's a big burden on the wildlife agencies there. I mean, think about how many deer are harvested. And, and they're testing all of them. testing all those. That's, I mean, it's costly. Yeah. Um, CWD is going to wind up costing fish and wildlife agencies everything um, just because there's there's no great alternative to it right now. Yeah. Um, so that's why, yeah, there's tons of reasons why it's a big deal. It impacts not only the other conservation work they could be doing um, and the other biological work they could be doing, but, um, you know, it's just a big scare. But anyways, that's where we're at right now as far as I know on CWD, and I'm not by any means the most up-to-date when it comes to that, but yeah, but until be. anything comes up positive in North Carolina, we're, we're yeah, good. Eat, eat, eat. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, personally, if I harvested a deer and it looked, it was super healthy and and everything seemed healthy, but it came back as a positive sample in another state. You know, if I harvested a deer in Montana and it came back positive, there's a good chance I would still eat that deer. I probably just wouldn't feed it to my family. I'd probably just eat it myself. I mean, that's a risk. If I die from eating deer meat. It's a pretty good way to go. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst way to go. <laughs> At least that that's me. That's me. I wouldn't feed it to my kids. I wouldn't feed it to my wife, but that's me. Um, so anyways, let's move on to something that's less gloom and doom, man. CWD is a dark, dark world. Yeah. The dark world of CWD. <laughs> um, talk, about, uh, talk, about, talk about the draws, man. The draws are in for uh, the Sportsman Access Program which we mentioned earlier. There's my little segue. Um, everybody got drawn for at least a yeah. week out of how many people entered? I think I divvied out over 200 draws to 140-something people, uh, 142. So, um, yeah, like we talked about, and I think I've mentioned this you know, on the last one briefly, but, I mean, that's people from states all across the country that are coming out here and, and utilizing this. And, uh, yeah, it's awesome, man. But also the draws for our duck draws, man. Yeah, yeah, they're in. They're in. I've uh, you did you did you had a good year after having a bunch of not so good years. Um, I did not draw one that I typically always draw, but then I drew five of one place. Are you, is the one that you didn't draw that you wanted to draw the one that I drew? Mm-hmm. That you never have drawn. Yeah, so I guess I need to take you over there and show you around um, at some point soon. So you know where to go. I'll live vicariously through your hunt. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I drew. I had some good draws. I, there's a good chance I won't go on all of them. I, I don't like to say that because typically I feel like if I took up somebody else's opportunity, I want to be there. But of those five draws, three of them I think were leftovers. Yeah. So I'm not taking anybody else's opportunity if I don't go um, and wasting it. Yeah. So I had a, I, it's just not feasible to travel to the coast that many times in a row um as much as i love to duck hunt it ain't i can't do that I th- before we get too far off we're i'm going to step back in the in the direction of the doom and gloom of cwd oh god <laughs> but like in a more positive note because um we were talking about your cleaning processes mm-hmm. and your way that you care for me so i think it'd be a useful tool for somebody who's Maybe more like me, and is a little bit more lax on like their processes of processing their own meat. Uh, I'm getting better, and I'm doing a lot better with it, but I'm still not up to your level. So I think I do a lot of th- things similar, but some things different. So from the time 
Like, when the work begins, you pull the trigger, uh-huh. deer's down. Let's just go through the quick process of your steps, and then I can tell okay. you where I'm that different. Could, that could potentially take the rest of the podcast. Um, but we'll we'll do the short, the short, the, the dirty, quick and dirty version. So, trigger's pulled, deer's recovered. Mm-hmm. We're going, we're using deer, for example, That's right? fine. Okay. So I think that's the easiest yeah. one, right? It's the most labor-intensive, probably, yeah. big game we have. Um, so, deer's on the ground. So... You're obviously going to be paying attention to your atmosphere, the temperature, right then. If it's above, if it's above 50 degrees, that deer needs to be cleaned ASAP. Entrails need to be removed. Air needs to be able to get to that cavity, cool that thing down. So that's that's step one before anything else. As soon as that happens, I'm taking every bit of precaution. Pause. Go ahead. It's 60 degrees outside. You pull the trigger. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't load that deer up. You say you got an AT, your truck or, uh, you know, ATV or something. You wouldn't load that deer up with its entrails still in and take it up to a place where you could clean it. If I had to travel more than 10 minutes, absolutely not. Wow. Okay. Absolutely not. Uh-huh. 10 minutes is my max. Like, if I'm hunting at my home farm, sure, I'm going to take the four-wheeler and run it, grab it and take it to the house, but that's a... 10 minute four wheeler mm-hmm. ride um, but if I'm public land doing it on public land or if I'm anywhere else if it's going to take me more than 10 minutes to get it to where it's going to get clean absolutely entrails are coming out Yeah. Um, and then you know you've got two options typically you can either drag it or pack it or cart it you know I guess that's three options um, but I don't like dragging if I'm if I'm if I've already clean to if do you got the cavity open. if the cavity's open dragging is a bad option um if, now if that's your only option sure but if you've got a pack and you can quarter it and pack it that's fine but you're going to risk getting some meat dirty um because you don't have the surfaces to lay it on as you're quartering it up um i prefer a cart uh if you can get a cart in there um, it's going to take a little more time to run back to the truck get your cart and come back but just having that extra amount of less dirt on it and here's a little Shout out to the hunter safety manual. The things that cause meat spoilage are, you remember? Heat. Heat, dirt, and moisture. Those are the three things that cause meat spoilage. Mm-hmm. Dirt, heat, and moisture. Yeah. Um, those, any combination of those three, and you've got problems. Um, any combination of those three. So you want dry, you want cool, and you want clean. Um, so once you've got it to the truck, so say that process, that's all pretty simple. That was a good pull, man. Yeah, you like that? I like that, yeah. So you've got it to the truck. That's that's my sale for game carts. So if you're a game cart manufacturer, there you go. That's how you should be marketing your tool. Mm -hmm. But you get it to the truck, you take it home, or wherever you take it to deer camp, wherever you're going to clean this deer. Um, Depending on the temperature outside, there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, if it's cold, if it's 40 degrees or less, you can leave it hot on and let it hang for ever how long you want. Rinse it out, let it dry, you're good to go. Um, if it's warmer than that, that 40-degree mark is kind of the magic temperature where it's like, okay, flies come out, you know, things start happening, um, rigor mortis speeds way up, um, and you, you don't want that. Out of sunlight. Sunlight, yeah. Sunlight, temperature. You don't want it in the sunlight. No. no. Um, you definitely want it to be shaded. Yeah. Um, you can leave it outside, but yeah. shaded's best. Yeah. Um, if it's going to have to be in sunlight, wrap it in a sheet. Um, I recommend wrapping it in a sheet anyways. But go ahead. The way I do it is I'll go ahead and skin it, um, no matter what. 
I'll go ahead and take the hide all the way off. Um, I'll wash it down really good, make sure everything's super clean, let it dry. Um, it'll drip dry just yeah. fine. No matter which way you skin it, hanging up headways or upside down, it'll drip dry. Everything's clean. This at this point, you've only got bone and meat, and that's it. That's all. That's I think together. there's a. I think that's a South Carolina North, like North Carolina difference. You guys hang them by the head. So I know a lot of people that hang them by the head, and I don't. I hang them by. No, the, I don't either. Yeah. Um, I felt like it was a, a up north thing to hang them by the head. Really. Um, it does. I tell you what, it makes more sense in that you're not cutting against the grain of the hair, and getting more hair on the meat. If you're hanging them by the head, you're going with the grain. Yeah. The way the hair lays which makes great sense for keeping hair off the meat. But you've got to have a really tall skinning pole to hang one, hang a big deer by the head. And if you don't have that option, you kind of got to go upside down. Because mm-hmm. it's okay if the nose touches the ground, but it's not okay if your ham's laying on the ground. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just a regional thing. I think it's ever how whoever's dad taught them how to do it. Yeah. I mean, my dad skinned them upside down, so that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you get to that point where the hide's off, if it's cool, if it's gonna be cooler than 40 degrees every day, and you can keep it in the dry, but let it air hang and keep it cold like that, and it's gonna get below freezing at night. By all means, age it, hang it, um, wrap it in a sheet, let it hang for three, four days. If that is not gonna work, um, say it's like North Carolina typically is, and you're gonna have a 75 degree day at some point during that week, you're gonna to need to go ahead and quarter that thing or debone it. The way I do it is I quarter it. So each leg comes off at the joint, loins come out, um, back straps come out, neck roasts, um, rib meat, everything you're gonna take off your deer goes into a cooler. And here's, this is where I'm getting particular and take a different approach than everybody else. I've, I have started doing this because of you. I go ice, meat, ice. I never have, and you gotta have a big cooler to do this. Or multiple coolers. I never allow meat to touch meat. You pack you pack your deer like you pack your beers in your cooler. Oh, if you, okay. An experienced <laughs> beer packer or experienced beverage packer is going to be good at packing meat in a cooler because you know the ratio of ice to things you're trying to keep cold. Ice has to be more, at least at first, because you're trying to get that initial cool down. Um, same with meat. Same with meat. Um, you... Uh, you don't want meat touching. Meat touching meat is spoilage in a cooler because remember the three factors, dirt, heat, moisture? You've got moisture in a cooler. That's why air hanging is a little better if you can do it. Yeah. But you've got dirt, heat, moisture with that moisture in the cooler and meat touching meat, that's your problem right there. Yeah. Um, but you got to have ice on meat. Just ice on meat. And ice, no meat on plastic. No meat on plastic. No meat on anything but ice. It has yeah. to touch ice. You don't want meat touching the sidewalls of your cooler. I know, it's, I know it's it's a lot, but um, if you want the best final product, this is how you get it. And then, once once you do that, every day or so, depending on the weather outside, you need to redo it. You need to take all that meat back out, lay it on a clean surface, change ice, and repack it. And what does this do? It does a couple things. A, it gets rid of a bunch of the excess blood, especially if you had a shot where you caused a lot of blood damage. Um, it's going to get rid of a lot of that. It's really going to make that meat more of a translucent um, color. Uh, some guys like a little bit bloodier meat, but for me, there's so much moisture in meat anyways, you don't need to retain all that. Um, so, yeah, it's going to just clean everything even more. Um, and I typically like to let my deer sit 
either dry aged, hanging, or wet aged in a cooler. I like seven days. Um, sometimes you can't get away with seven days if you got something going on, you're not going to be able to work it up or whatever, but seven days is a pretty good target. Um, do you like longer or shorter? Is that kind of where you're at? About where I'm at, but I, uh, I guess prior, I was not doing the aging process. You're going straight and to the ground. If I did do some aging, like it would be sitting in the cooler, and I thought on ice in a cooler, it's good. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. If this meat's touching meat, that's all right. Yeah. If if it's in a cooler and it's cold and it's on ice, it's not. I'm sure, a problem. tell people think that way. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't. It's not like I was like, oh, this is how it's done. And I'm right. That's not how I came across this method at all. I'll tell you, I, it was a trial and error for me. With the wet aging thing, I did the same thing. I was like, it's in a cooler, it's good to go. I shot a deer in Louisiana. I think I shot three deer in the same week. And I had two of them packed in one cooler and the third in another one. So the third, the one in the one by itself was the one I was eating. And I didn't have a deep freezer where I was living. I was actually living in a travel trailer um, working on the WMA there. So I was just eating deer straight out of the cooler, like cutting a steak yeah straight to the grill kind of deal kind of like caveman well it came time for me to travel home for the holidays and this is these the two deer that were in the cooler together had been on ice for roughly a week and i've been changing ice out we were wrong i've been putting fresh ice on top doing that throwing but, fresh ice on top yeah, which and is, then draining the water yep that's, that's lazy that's the laziest that's, thing that's, to do. That's, that's the worst thing you can do honestly um because ice creates pockets of air yeah in there where it'll melt and it'll fuse together with each other and be big chunks and not just cubes and then there'll be pockets of nothing but air and yeah. water and so that's bad that's well this what, is what i mean this is we've had this discussion you kind bad. of chewed me out a little bit well, about my well i'm just giving you solid advice you know yeah. my life lesson yeah. so it was cool outside too you don't get me wrong this was it was below 40 degrees this whole time this period's going on for me i drove home with the cooler in the bed of my truck it stayed below 40 and i drove at night so it wasn't getting exposed to sunlight hardly at all. I got home and that deer had, had ruined. It was turned. Green, nothing salvageable out of those two deer. And there wasn't a whole lot left because I had put some in the other cooler, but just saying, I thought I did everything right. I had it clean. I had it on ice. It was in a cooler. Everything should have been fine. So the aging process, like, I guess another thing that I've done in the past would be like not doing a full week or a full 10 days sure and have it on ice and then and i think a lot of people do that too where you kill it you maybe get it on ice for a little bit just to cool it off and then you go straight into and a lot of that depends on the age and size of the deer and what quality the deer was when you shot it yeah so a yearling deer not necessary to age a week not necessary to age two days yeah Mm -hmm. i mean they're ready to eat yeah right then yeah a spike buck he's ready to eat pretty much when you shoot him (laughs) um so not necessary for aging, um, in my opinion. Now, I always age at least two two days. Uh, that's my minimum, um, no matter how what style I'm going to use. But, yeah, so that's the cooler thing. That's why I do it the way I do it. Yeah. It's just I learned from screwing up. Yeah. Um, when we were, I don't know, I guess when I was first messing with meat on my own without my dad's help, there was no, like, here's, there's no, there's no nobody yeah, telling me. That's why I wanted to talk about it because there's no... I'm, I'm thinking about my my buddy. There's no resource out there telling me how to do it. I'm thinking about my buddy who listens to this show, who's new to hunting. Yeah, I think we have several people like that. 
and just got his lifetime license, bought a lifetime license great. last week. Congratulations. Um, and he's, I mean, somebody who, like myself, who's been hunting a long time, I still make mistakes that somebody with even more experience like you come in and telling me, like, hey, you, you need to do this better or that better. And, like, for somebody who didn't have a parent as a mentor, mm-hmm. who didn't have you as a mentor, even, you know, I had a parent and friends and things that have taught me different things along the way. But yeah, somebody me coming too. In, I was lucky like that. Somebody coming in cold, you know, you shoot a deer. What's next? What do you do? And then it's just like, oh, crap. Crap. <laughs> yeah. Do I, where's the nearest processor? Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. you shouldn't have to feel that way. When you're hunting, you want to feel self-reliant. Mm-hmm. You know, That's the whole point of doing it in the first place. Now, if you want to take it to a processor, that's 100% fine. But you want to also know that, hey, if I if I had the time, I could have done this myself. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a busy guy or gal. I've mm-hmm. got work, so I yeah. can't do this. But yeah. you like that self – I like the self-reliability part of it. I think that's kind of why a lot of people I get think into so. it. I definitely think so. Mm-hmm. But so, okay, let's move past. We've spent a lot of time on aging. Um, so your deer's aged. You did it right every which way you did it. Then comes where I get really weird. <laughs> this is, and this is another place where so, we... And I, got the, I inherited this from my dad. So Clorox is your friend. Bleach is your friend. When it comes to time for you to clean and process your game, whatever surfaces you're going to use, whether it be you're doing it in the kitchen or if you're doing it in your basement, whatever, wherever your, your garage, whatever, or on your tailgate, I mean, wherever you're going to do it, those surfaces even if they're not going to contact the meat, need to be Clorox clean. And I'm talking about a deep clean with a sponge, scrubber, clean. So when I get ready, if I'm going to, pro- so if I'm going to process at home in my kitchen, the whole kitchen gets cleaned. And we've got dogs that live in the house. So dogs are removed. They're not allowed in. I don't want any dog hair floating around. The floors get cleaned. The countertops are clean. The sink gets Clorox. Everything, and I mean, it smells like a bottle of bleach in there when I'm done. And then I pull out all my grinding equipment or my meat processing equipment. All that gets sanitized in the dishwasher. You know, high heat wash, Clorox wash, the whole nine yards, everything. And once I do that, I dry everything. Everything gets dried, completely 100% dry. And then all my parts to my grinder, my pans that I'm going to use, my meat pans. If you don't have if you don't have either plastic or stainless steel meat totes, you need to have some of those on hand because you're going to have a lot of meat flying around that you're going to need to put somewhere. You don't want to just be putting it on dishes. That's that's not the way to do it. <laughs> and you're going to need to clean out a space in your freezer. All those pans, grinder parts, everything goes in the freezer. Everything. Yeah. Before and you do Before anything. I touch the meat. Yeah. All that's in the freezer. Then you're pulling out your cutting boards. Okay, because chances are you didn't debone the deer when you put it in your cooler. You quartered it up, you were tired, you packed it in ice the meticulous way, and it's in there bone on, on the bone. Are you running? Are you running a stainless steel or plastic table? Uh, so that's what I don't like about my kitchen currently. My kitchen is tile countertop, uh-huh. so I'm running tile countertop, and then across the entire countertop, I lay that poly uh, polypropylene cutting board on, mm-hmm. which I prefer over wood. Wood holds bacteria. It's not a great thing for cutting meat on. It's, yeah. fi- it's fine for cutting vegetables. It's not fine for cutting meat. You, one thing that I've done that you did not like, I, you, as a matter of fact, it made you a little sick. <laughs> I did it outside. 
you you do all of your processing oh, indoors. indoors. Oh, yes. <laughs> if it's possible. If I'm feeding it to my family, it's going to be indoors. Now, I'll do some caveman stuff just for me outside, but, yeah, I'll do it indoors. You can do it outside if it's cold. If yeah. it's super cold, I mean, you can get away with it. If you've got a you know super clean surface to work on, you can. I did it in college. You can yeah. certainly. We did it on the back deck in college all yeah, the time. Yeah, sure. You can certainly get away with it, but I don't know if you're wanting a, if you're wanting commercial quality product at the end. This is the way to do it. You're like, it's. I mean, you're getting meticulous at this point, but so then you're breaking out your cutting boards. And I, I'll save this hot tip. Remind me a cutting board tip for the end. Okay, that'd be my hot tip. But then. You're cutting, you're deboning your meat. I'm not going to go into how you do it. I mean, there's books on that. Just you debone all your meat, everything's clean. As soon as you get done with a hunk of meat, so say you finish up deboning a, a, a ham, all those pieces of meat, you have pulled one of your pans, your meat trays, out of the freezer. You're putting that in that tray and putting it back in the freezer. That way, everything's staying cold. No meat is ever getting above 50 degrees. The whole time you're cutting it up, nothing's getting above 50. It's just above. It's just above freezing enough that it's pliable and you can work it and you can cut it with a knife. I mean, that's how cold things need to be. And that way, everything's staying chilled the whole time. And then when you're done with all your deboning and you're ready to grind for either burger or sausage or whatever you're making, your meat's not going to get hot in the grinder because you're doing sections of it at a time and alternating through your freezer. And with your grinder being chilled. You're not heating up meat in the grinder because that's a really good time. Because once you, you're familiar with hamburger, all the surface area on hamburger, that's a ton of places for bacteria to collect. Versus steaks, there's only, you know, two sides and the edge. On hamburger, every single string is a surface. I mean, that's millions of surfaces for bacteria. Millions. And you're pattying out, you know, something to put in a vacuum seal bag, that's a lot of surface. Hand washing... You need to wash your hands a thousand times. <laughs> I, I think that's a minimum. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not an exact number. But antibacterial soap and hand washing is imperative. And lots of, I mean, butchers wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Butchers wear gloves. I mean, wear gloves. I wear gloves. Wear gloves. And change them often. Change gloves often. Wear gloves. Keep changing gloves. Mm-hmm. Change them. More than one set. Oh, yeah. You should definitely go through four or five sets. Four or five sets of gloves. I know it sounds like it's not economical, but that's the that's the clean way. I mean, super clean. When you think you're not, if you're if you're questioning if you're clean enough, you're not clean enough. When you when <laughs> I you know I'm not clean when enough. you look at your when you look at your setup and you're like, this is getting ridiculous at how clean I'm being. You probably could still get a little cleaner, but that's probably good. When you're to the point where yeah, this is over the top. I could be making Benadryl in here or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's when it's right. That's when it's right. Um, so that's what that's, do you wear? What do I wear? Oh, I wear an apron. Okay. I definitely wear an apron. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I see. I kind of like imagine you in there with like a hazmat suit on. I don't. Like, I usually wear a ball. Try not to breathe on your. Meat. If I if I if it was if it was okay to do that and I had it and it was still comfortable, I probably would. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I certainly wear an apron and a hat to keep the hair back. I don't wear a hairnet because it's my my meat my hair. I'm not that worried about it, but I'm definitely not going to allow hair to be in the food because I might have people over. <laughs> you know, think of it like you're serving it to your to your mother-in-law that never ate wild game. You don't want their first impression to be a hair in the meat or getting sick. 
Uh, yeah. You, you know, that's that's the worst way to turn somebody off right there. So that's that's how I do it. I know, I know it sounds crazy. It's probably over the top too much, but I, that's how I grew up doing it for the most part. My dad, so if you really want to get the setup, stainless steel, everything. Stainless steel countertops, stainless steel pans, stainless steel everything because they're easy to clean. Um, super easy to clean. And then you don't have to worry about it having bacteria on it. So that's, if you really want to get pro, that's how you get pro. But I'm not there yet in my home setup. Yeah. So that's me. And if you really want to be a great butcher, get your, have yourself a walk-in cooler and butcher everything in the walk-in cooler. Then you don't have to worry so much about putting your pans and stuff in the freezer. You just have everything in the cooler with you, and it's all at 42 degrees. And you're good. <laughs> Man, honey is so expensive. Oh, it's not. See, all that sounds like that was expensive. You've already got majority of this stuff. You've already got cutting boards. Dude, I need a new freezer. A grinder's a hundred bucks. I already have a grinder. I have the boards. I have all that stuff. But the meat pans. Look, use your Tupperware totes, and every year just replace one. That's twelve bucks. Use Put your, a date on it. The yeah. date, the date of purchase, and when it gets like have three of them. Yeah, just upgrade one a year, and then eventually you'll have ten tubs. And then you store all your grinder parts in one of them, and it's serving 20 purposes. I need a new freezer. A freezer's a purchase you have to make. I mean, if you're going to be a hunter or a, an angler and be self-sufficient, if you're going to be a human, you got to have a freezer. I don't know I how have it, a freezer, but I need a second. I'm going to have to get a second freezer. Uh, freezers go on sale Black Friday, bro. You think, I'm gonna go, you think I'm going to go out somewhere on Black Friday? Cyber Monday. Order, have it shipped to the house. They ship freezers every day. All right. Get yourself a freezer. I bought... Um, no, I didn't buy it. My, uh, my parents got it for us for a, uh, a wedding present. They bought me a, uh, a chest freezer. What do you like better? You like stand-up or chest? I'm a, I'm a chest freezer kind of person. My grandmother... I don't like stuff falling out when I My grandmother door. had this chest freezer mm-hmm. when we were growing up that always had, like, Snickers and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. All these, like, treats down in there. So, yeah. Chest freezer? Just, just because just of the nostalgia. Yeah. I like a chest freezer. I've got two, um, and I like them a whole lot. They uh, they work good. Freezer is imperative to human life. It's just like fire. <laughs> it's imperative. So is that does that sound like too much? Is that was that too much of a? No, I think it's good. Being weird about makes no. It makes me want to do better. Just makes uh, me. I could talk about packaging. makes my list. Of things, I mean, there's so much things that we didn't even we talk left about. out. Yeah, I mean, like that's not when, a you're going through, when you're going through and you're cleaning, I'll do like the small touches of things for the beginners that they just heard that and they're like, "Holy crap, what what have I got myself into?" Yeah. All right. You take out a shank or something, you can do a nice roast with that. So it's good to like leave a shank or a ham and like some really nice roasts and package Bone those. On. Bone in, yeah. whatever. Keep those on their own. Yeah. You got then you're gonna have a burger pile. Of mm-hmm. meat that maybe is less choice cuts, like not your. Oh, I do, we're not even going to talk about that. Look, I know, I know of three people that are listening to this that are like, Cody, just tell the truth. Tell mm-hmm. the truth about what what you're really doing. I try to have a a burger deer, a jerky deer, a sausage deer, a steak deer. You run, you run a tenderloin, you run a tenderloin through the I'll, grinder. When I'm hurting for burger, which is what my family eats the most of, absolutely. I will 
I will shoot a deer for each individual purpose. Instead of taking select cuts off of each deer, I will purpose a deer. So when I shoot a deer, I'm like, that deer's burger. Bam. The next deer, oh, I need sausage. That deer's a sausage deer. That's how I do it. That's not the way most people do it. But I'm also, you know, we're living off of it. When you're processing this deer, you're going through the process that Cody talked about, you've got a burger deer, you're going to want to cut out some of that, like, tallow, like fat Mm -hmm. on a deer, um, which you'll know it when you see it, um, spongy white material. Silver skin. You're you're going to want to cut that out. Connective tissue that looks, it's called silver skin. When you've got the deer laid in front of you, you're going to know what it is. It's silver skin in between pockets of meat. Yeah. You're going to want to cut that out as you before you run it to the grinder. You don't have to get everything. It's impossible to get everything. But you try to get as much of that out as you can, um, and that's going to increase the quality of your of your burger meat. Yeah, there's tons of podcasts and books and videos on working up deer. So for a new hunter, uh, there's a, there's a, you can learn anything you want on YouTube, but there's a ton of other podcasts and things that they talk about. But I don't think, I think we're, we're the first one that I've heard that, talk so much about cleanliness which was i think was very good for you know i think that's something that gets left out like everybody says well here's what how you cut it up here's how you package it here's how you put it in your freezer nobody says here's how you wash your cutting board because they think that's the common knowledge part Mm -hmm. but that's not it's Mm -hmm. really not even in restaurants there's no telling what you're consuming no telling but you come to my house you won't have to worry about it (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, so that's uh, – now let me give my hot, hot tip. Hot tip on cutting boards. Let me give my hot tip on cutting boards. So you are talking about saving – that's getting expensive? Hunting's getting expensive? Yeah. Let me tell you how you can supply your entire kitchen with cutting boards. So if you have a butcher party and you have five guys over, or girls, over cutting up deer for you, let me tell you how to do it for free. Well, virtually free. Go to Lowe's and purchase one of those – it can be any size, but they sell decking boards made out of that poly, whatever yeah. it is. They sell decking boards made out of that plastic, the same plastic that cutting boards are made out of. One side's going to be textured like wood. The other side's going to be smooth, which is the side you're looking for. Take that home, slap that on the skill saw, cut you ever how many lengths of cutting board out of it you want. Then you can take a router and route the edges and put your little trench around the edge. That way when your juices are flowing out of the meat as you're cutting it up they'll pool around the edge and you're not spilling off onto your countertop and creating more things to clean up you just dump your cutting board in the so sink. I, now i need to buy a router oh well somebody's got a router you don't <laughs> have to buy a router no or a saw i'm sure you can manage you can cut it with your leatherman yeah um but that's just extra fanciness if you want to go that far with the yeah. router but yeah no, that's my tip don't go buy a whole bunch of cutting boards when you can buy that and have a lifetime supply for 12 bucks oh man oh i'm just gonna go ahead and i'll say what i did last year and it's just gonna i mean it's gonna make you sick me yeah but and i i ate all this deer never everything was wonderful but wet aged my deer everything's good there Mm -hmm. i had a fresh cardboard box okay and i laid that out Okay. It's cold. It's probably forty-five degrees outside. I laid it outside on the cardboard and was doing my cutting and on cardboard. that for your cutting board. On cardboard, it's not great. And then it wasn't running straight into the freezer. I had like a bowl where I was collecting my meat. That was clean. 
Yeah. I was throwing it in there and it sat until I filled it. and then Until you were it. done or yeah. until you filled the bowl up yeah. and then you went and put it in the yeah. fridge. Yeah. You could have improved on that. I could um, definitely improve on that. If anything, you could improve by the cutting board thing. Hell, wood cutting board is better than cardboard. Um, cardboard's absorbent. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, that's where you're running the issues. <laughs> that's, that's, but hey, I'm not knocking it because in college, we certainly cut on some cardboard. There were several times that a Little Caesars pizza box was repurposed into a table-wide cutting board yeah. for three guys to cut up meat on. Yeah. That, that definitely happened. And I'm still alive. Never got sick. Um, you're just trying to run a high-quality kitchen here. I just want it to be, when I take a package out of the freezer to cook, I want to know that it's the best possible thing it could be. There's, it doesn't get any better than what I'm pulling out. Yeah, so I just want it to be the best it can be when it comes out, in case I'm having folks over or whatever. It's just me. Um, but yeah, at a critical point in the uh, freezer capacity right now at my house. Yeah, I found my last pack of burger hiding in the back. Uh-huh. I've got two flank steaks, and that's the... Uh, that's it? That's, that's it for it. you? So for me... I'm, I pull, I've got one pack thawing right now, and my last pack is in the freezer, and that's it. That, that's it, deer-wise. Now, there's other stuff to be had, but deer, deer are gone. Because, like I said, hunt season is a week late this year compared to what it usually is. So, usually I'm in perfect shape right now, but I don't know. We're going to be, it's going to be crunch time come Saturday. <laughs> crunch time, but... Yeah, that's deer hunting. Well, yeah, man, I guess my hot tip is just I'll go back to that hiking one. Um, get off your feet. I mean, I know unless you're a real experienced hiker and you put a bunch of miles on and you're you're at the stage where it's all about the journey and going slow and taking everything in, if you're concerned about being able to finish your hike, um, just know that for every 10 minutes you're on your feet, it's going to get worse. I mean, that's just how it is. So if you, you know, you can still soak in the, and enjoy the scenery, but try to try to stop those breaks, um, and just kind of power through, and and it's going to benefit you in the long run. Yeah, I agree, I agree with all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know breaks may seem like a, you know, like it's a good thing and get you feeling back better, but it's, I mean, I I really think they're detrimental to finishing. Yeah, I do too. I think it gets you uh, on not only in your mind, but yeah, just causes you to have more time on your feet. Yeah. Well, um, tune in next week, I guess. Yeah. If you're like us, you're riding down the road listening to the podcast on your commute. When you get to where you're going, don't forget like us on Facebook. Check us out at our website, threeriverslandtrust.org. There you can find out about all the events we're putting on all the conservation work we're doing, how you can get involved, and how you can help. We'd love to meet like-minded individuals and get you involved in conservation. Till next time.